0: Welcome to Horn Pod. Uh, Kind of a special episode. Maybe an addendum to the last one. Yeah, the last episode our guest was Cooley Ranks, and while we were talking pilfers for our Scott Cannon segment, we realized we had a lot of questions about Chihuahua Lang, the making of it, the production, etc. So we got Cooley Ranks back here in the house, and we are honored and floored that he has brought a friend with him. Matt, why don't you tell everyone about our special guest?
1: He's most infamously perhaps the bassist of Ongo Boingo or was from 1984 to 1995, including on their very big song, Weird Science. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, John, uh, his other performance and production credits include Neil Young, Willie Nelson, Steven Tyler, Richie Havens, Stuart Copeland, and members of the Grateful Dead. Was that all true?
2: Yes, it's Get part the of my musical, it's part of my musical journey. And, and
1: yet, and yet we've got you here to talk about an album you made with Cooley in 1999, Chouala Lang, which we recently put into what we call the ska canon albums that we consider uh, very, very important to uh, shaping the sound, the taste, uh, the progression. Of ska music, and I mean, in addition, it's I mean, a very high honor. It's a <laughs> it's an entirely arbitrary honor, uh, <laughs> but we've chosen to think highly of it. <laughs> like JJ was saying, thank you for being here uh, to, talk, to talk to talk about having. a ska record because it's uh, what a what a joy. Uh, <laughs> so I, I need to know first. <laughs> I need to know first because you worked with Real Big Fish prior to this
2: yeah, and that's how I met Cooley. I, I met, yeah, Cooley, they brought in Cooley to 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 sing a, uh, on a couple of tracks
1: right on one of the rockford album, right? And
2: then Cooley and I, as far as on a on a work on a uh, musical level, we just immediately clicked. We were just he's <laughs> just throwing ideas. I was like, dude, that's that's awesome. Let's throw that down. And then <laughs> I would throw ideas and and Cooley would look at me kind of like, hey, let's you know kind of throw throw things down. And of It course, made
3: me sound good. It made me sound good. Oh, was like, oh, my God. Woo! Best I've ever sounded in my life. I want you to do my record when I get signed. You! He's like, mm. He looked at me like, OK. <laughs> but yes.
2: It kind of started. It started like that. We were just literally on the job on the, in the session. All right, let's do this. And all of a sudden, we were just the magic started happening immediately. Yeah. And of course, we were doing this for the Real Big Fish record. And the, the real big fish guys were just like, this is great. You know, they were just digging what we were doing. And right. so it just started from that.
3: Bridge the base, bridge the base, put the on the case alongside a little big fish, the RBF, speed, relatively slow, focus on time, watch on
2: Cooley said when when he did get signed uh he asked me if I would work with him on his record with the with the pilfers and I, of course I was excited to work with him so that's how it all it all began
1: how did you I, first get linked up with real big fish because your pedigree until the late 90s wasn't really obviously Scott although we can talk about what is and isn't ska in like the oingo boingo discography but
2: (laughs) the ska well for whatever reason and i'm sure there's a number uh uh oingo boingo uh influenced or or, a lot of the 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 ska bands Mm -hmm. were influenced like the no doubts and and this is just from them telling us right uh we're influenced by oingo boingo I think a lot of it had to do with the horn arrangements. Mm-hmm. So Oingo Boingo was all about horns, uh, especially mm-hmm. the early records. And I know a lot of the ska bands were were influenced by that. And of course, the writing of Danny Alpin, who's just incredibly brilliant writer and and Steve Bartek, who also worked on a lot of the horn arrangements, the guitar player of Boingo Boingo, who still works with Danny on his film projects and and other projects. And I think, there were and also there was a couple of songs uh, that had uh, Scott influences from some of the early Boingo albums. No, oh, for sure. And and, um, and this is another. Uh, getting back to how I got hooked up with Real Big Fish, uh, Real Big Fish's manager Vince Paletti used to work for the management of Oingo Boingo Boingo, uh, Laura Engel, and one of and I met uh, Vince because he used to drive me to. To uh, interviews. Uh, that was one of my jobs with Oingo Boingo, was when we went into a town and I was one of the guys, or one of me and Danny uh, were the ones who went to radio stations or went to speak uh, with. We had to do interviews.
1: You were and, one of the faces of the band.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, I, at the <laughs> time, that was kind of my gig. Vince at one point used to drive me to these interviews, and that's how I met him. And one day he's driving, and and he he goes, "Hey, John, uh, you know, I'm not just a driver. I'm our assistant. I'm also I manage uh, some young bands. And this is a band that I manage." And he passed me. I remember I was in the back seat. And he passed me the CD, and I'm looking at it. It was, I think, it was one that had been released in Hawaii, and apparently it was a hit in Hawaii. <laughs> at the time. And he goes, "Yeah, these guys are really doing well in Hawaii." I was like, "Oh, great." I was cool, you know, and and I remember listening to it. I remember taking the CD home and listening to it. And I remember being impressed with the songs. The songs were good. It just they were so young and they were just really developing as musicians. Uh they had a ways to go as far as like their playing, you know. And uh, and they were young. It was just that's part of the learning process. Sure. And I remember uh, uh, my manager, Laura, uh, one day called me and says, you know that band, Real Big Fish? She goes, uh, uh, they're interested in having you produce them. And I was like, what? Really? I was like, mm-hmm. and I, I just remember not being that impressed. And I told her that. I was like, man, they sound like kids. Well, they are young. They're real kids. But they've gotten a lot better since. they did that cd you should go give them a listen so i ended up going down to the rehearsal and i was blown away by their song and also their the the fact that the music matched their personalities it wasn't like (laughs) they weren't trying to put on a an act it was like wow these guys are really like these guys on the record or the Mm -hmm. when they play these songs it's it's a it's a perfect match and and so that youthfulness and that uh, spontaneity that they had, and they do it on gigs. Cooley, I know you've done a lot of touring with them mm-hmm. and how they perform. There are just there's a lot of spontaneity. And I saw yeah. that in in the in when once we started. So anyway, I agreed to work with them and we went in and we cut that record. And wow. And and keep in mind, too, we did that record before Pro Tools, You know, before being able to (laughs) go in and do digital editing. So, what you hear on that record is actually what we played. And, but we had a lot, you know, we had a lot of pre production. And anyway, the the record comes out and it hit right when the ska movement was happening. So, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is timing. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, it was time, good timing for everybody. And uh, right when that ska movement happening. And so, when they, when that happened all of a sudden i started getting calls from a lot of other ska bands and so uh because of that record i got to work with bands like the the specials uh not neville staple had a his version of the uh sta- of, of the specials at the time so i got to work with him uh, the voodoo glow skulls uh, uh later on safe bears and and madness i got to work with madness yeah and, and um and so hey. Coo- Cooley was was because we had worked... I, we did this, the second album, right? I think the, so. Yeah, it was the second album, uh, Why Do They Rock So Hard?
0: Yes, and, yes. And, mm-hmm. and,
2: and but John, my,
0: you did their first record too, right? I did
2: both of their albums. Yeah, okay. I did All both right. those albums. And the first one was done... Uh, I think what, the, when they did the second album... Uh, they they went they had gone out and toured and you know they had a big thing they were doing big shows everywhere and they just matured as players because they were playing every night and I think the second album is way more polished way more uh, I mean I really enjoy that record when I hear that and and I know the track Cooley you're on is one of my favorite songs on that record there's two. Uh, to bed, bed, to bed. What's the, say there? Bridge
1: to base, bridge to
2: base <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. The
1: case alongside real big fish the RBFs. Yeah, yeah, man, That's I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. Man. Just hold tight. <laughs> yeah. Hey,
3: we're, together, mom, say. we're rocking
2: this
3: away, like back in days. We're
1: cooling the
3: shade. we cooling no again. you we'll see your from
1: John, I, I'm glad that you said that Why Do They Rock So Hard was the superior album because I don't think that's a very popular opinion oh, ge- I know generally, but I totally agree with
2: you. I, I just I, and I, I just think we were more mature and the, the band was more mature when we went in. Yeah. And the sound of it, we did it at Sunset Sound. And just the sound of that record is so amazing. I love them. Don't get me wrong. It's just an awesome record. <laughs> so, how did you feel
0: about kind of becoming uh, a, a ska go-to producer? Did you did you find it all as as good as Real Big Fish, or did you kind of have diminishing returns with that?
2: No, uh, I mean for me personally, uh, I'm I'm like a uh, a foodie. Uh, it's like when I like to taste all the menus, you know. I like to, I like Thai food and I like Mexican food the next day, and I like Italian food the next day. And for me, it was a little bit hard getting being known as the ska guy and then having all these ska bands, unless they <laughs> were really good bands, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, and I worked with some really good ska bands, I mean, the ones I especially the ones I worked with, but uh, I definitely did not want to just do that, yeah. Uh, I mean, just for the reason that music is so diverse and and so i i i got to do a lot of cool other style albums some oh, yeah. uh some of the rock and espanol i got involved with um you a, produced a this little, really
0: cool um mariachi band i was listening to last night yeah later El, on, bronx? Mariachi,
2: yes. El bronx i did three oh, you did that? I, did all, oh, wow. I did all of their albums it's so and, good. Um, I'd
0: never heard it until last night. It's so good, sir. They're really
2: amazing band, and and it's so awesome. I mean, even like a band like that talking about something that is new. The the lead. I'd never met these guys, and they call me up and they say, "Hey, we want to do we?" Uh, they liked uh, uh, this. They call me because uh, they were fans of this record. This band called Quetzal that I had done. I did a couple albums with this band Quetzal. And real popular band in L.A. They Grammy winning band. They won a Grammy. They're a really great band. Wow. And, uh, and um, uh, so Mariachi Al Bronx were fans of that record uh, or the records I did. They call me up and they and these guys, except for one guy in the band, are not Latinos. They're uh, basically a white punk band from mm-hmm. L.A., yeah. And they're not even from the Bronx. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they're a punk band. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, and, they're they're actually a, a band called the Bronx. That's like a, a hardcore punk band, band, and they rearrange themselves to perform as Mariachi El Bronx. Man,
2: exactly. And and when they got the idea, they call me up and they say, "Hey, we 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 got this idea for this record, and we want to do uh, Mariachi El uh, uh, music in English." <laughs> and and I'm on the phone with this guy. I was like, and I I was just like, and I'm trying to think of a mariachi album in English that I had heard before. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. I was like, that's never been done, right? I go, I can't think of anyone who's done that. He goes, you nope. Know? I was like, I'm in. I was like, I mean, I don't even never heard these guys, but I know. You're I, like, that's crazy. I'm your guy.
3: In my defense, these prison walls, they couldn't hold anything in it all. I see your face in my own
1: So, uh, so when you well, meet Cooley and you start working with him, I assume that you've got similar, uh, like chemistry, like you were saying, like you are a foodie. Cooley's got a lot of different t- tastes absolutely. in his mouth, too. Uh, it's so like, what is when you guys are starting to put together this record, what kind of the conversations are you guys having?
2: Well, I re- do you remember, Coolie the dinner when I arrived in New York City? Oh. My first night in town and we went to dinner.
3: Or oh, was I put out with the, with the record company? Yeah. I didn't like it.
2: Yeah, I re- that's <laughs> one of my memories. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I, just, I, didn't, I don't
3: like this. I don't like the hoopla. The hoopla. Yeah. You don't like like, being dined
1: and dashed?
3: I I thought it was whack.
1: Hmm. Were they kissing your ass too much?
3: No, but this is for you. I was like, this is not for me. You're not (laughs) eating Jamaican food.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my memories is the actual first meeting and just hanging out with you guys the first time and and, you know, uh, trying to know each other. I don't uh uh, who else and I? I knew uh, uh oh, Vinny? Vinny. I knew Vinny.
3: I, I met Vinny. I don't even know I don't if I met Vinny. I don't think you met Vinny. I think I'm the only one that you met. I'm the only one that you that i met yeah. before. Yeah, and
2: and we sat around and and we kind of wined and dined and just hung out and talked and and yeah. and uh, that was interesting. And then uh, one of the and then things, you came to the show, yeah came to the show, and one of the really really cool things about that record uh is that we got to do it at electric ladyland, yeah and, uh, you know and uh and that was pretty epic the I, mean, I mean there's i assume that was was that water. your
1: was that your first time there?
2: I had never been there, no, but so, just are so, so even me. Make-
1: well yeah i mean yeah obviously there's a storied history but so but even making this record was like on a personal level for you meaningful because of the studio you got to work at that's great yeah.
2: that was one i mean even later on finding out that some of stevie wonder's greatest albums he recorded like three <laughs> or four albums there intervision yeah. and records like that were recorded in the same studio and the other thing coolly i don't know if you remember this i was told by the by the um by the uh the the engineer or somebody who's worked there that the mixing board that we used for the for the pilfer's record on that record was the last uh record done on the original board from that studio and oh, they wow. after we finished that record <laughs> they took that record out and they brought in some other new board that and you, was pretty cool i thought that was cool
1: you were the last record to get that that hendrix stank on it i yep. guess
2: no so. Of course, once we started recording and, and getting into the songs and the chemistry involved in, in, in making the songs happen, uh, was just a joy.
3: We had such I'm gonna tell you, you did a lot, you did a lot to those songs. We didn't have this, we didn't have the structure as John did. John did so much things to to carve it and and make it more, make it better, you know. I mean, Thank we you. had songs, we had good songs. But we didn't have the transition and, and the things correctly. John, John made sure that we chopped it in the right way and put this here and put that there, and just made the puzzle fit. Because if it were if we were up to us, it'd probably been all five-minute songs. <laughs> we just didn't, we didn't have that technique. And, did it, and I'm going to tell you the technique that you taught me from some of those songs. I still do it to this day. So my songs or 3 minutes because of what you taught me. I could I could take another a lesson with you, John. Well, so what I is mean, the I reason? Mean,
0: what is the reason? Yeah,
1: let's let's hear I mean, that lesson because I'm a big advocate of short songs myself as a songwriter and I would love to hear someone <laughs> like you defend the short song. Well, for,
3: for me, well I we would we would play them long because we would just be able to chill out on the stage and, you know, whatever. But the the short song is for the radio the radio songs. Those, I mean, no one's not going to listen to a jam session right. on the radio. And cutting, you understand? The
2: cutting out the fat. Yes. Meet, mm-hmm. Make it lean. The essence. It's
3: got to hit the point. Boom.
1: So, John, when you first hear Pilfers, like, what are you hearing and what do you here as a possibility of like what you can make them sound like. Like how do how do you approach a band like this?
2: <laughs> I, mean, I mean one of the important things is when you're working with a band is to find the what are the the really, really uh p- parts of the group that really shine. You know, of course Cooley and his personality and his vocals and his lyrics and 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 capturing that so that when it comes off the speakers, it just hits you hard. Also, you know, Vinny's uh, trombone playing is absolutely phenomenal. He's like one of the really great trombonists. I mean,
1: without a doubt, yes.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, when I hear him play, I was like, wow, this is... And and also, too, uh, the rhythm section, making that click and gel and, and creating these uh, 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 arrangements that work with the with that make the song excel and make it make it get to the next level so it's kind of a combination of putting setting the table and putting all these things together and so that when the listener listens to it that's that what is what pops and also what pops on the radio so
0: thinking about uh Chawalaling it sounds like you did a lot of like reworking in the moment is, it, is there a matter of rehearsing? Is it a matter of like recording a little bit and then saying like, let's, I don't know. Is it, are you are you more preparing for the performance or are you kind of reworking while you're performing?
2: They, a lot of the times the bands will send me demos, like just either it could be either from their gigs or just stuff they recorded during rehearsal. And I listen to that before I meet with the band and then I make my suggestions. Um, and also too is trying not to fix what's not broken. You know, a lot of times, a lot of it is that don't mess up what's badass in a song. Stay out of the way of the good shit of the good shit. Absolutely. But um, I I try to be as prepared as I can, just know, trying to know the songs the best that I can listening to them, especially on uh, the weeks leading up to or on the flight to, you know, really just studying the songs. A lot of times I write charts and because there's, for me, psychologically, when I see things in blocks uh, when I'm writing a chart, I often as I'm hearing the song and I, a lot of times I see things in that way, it's kind of more mathematical, more in blocks as a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And, and then a lot of the things is, is dynamics is how you don't make a song boring by just being like this. You got to create moments. And and creating mm-hmm. these moments for me is often I often picture the song at Madison Square Garden and what would at this point of the song that's when the band moves away there's a spotlight on the singer and 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 it, the the lights go dark and then right at this point bam the lights explode and and so creating those kind of moments on record so mm-hmm. that when they perform that stuff. <laughs>
0: You're like thinking of the theatrics of it, the drama of it.
2: I'm Absolutely. I totally am. I'm thinking like when they perform this song, what's going to make this song better also too, because they are going to be performing this song.
0: Okay. So, so Cooley, it's, it would be like really easy to say like the difference between your first record and your second record is, Mm. is an amount of like polish because you've got this guy John here that's just like, Got the the skills, but it, it's I, I feel like it's more than than polish. Like it's um like how would you describe the difference between the two records yourself?
3: Well, the the first record was just us doing it. Not really. Not, it was our first record, first endeavor, ever, ever. Going in the studio, putting it all together. It was our first. We didn't know anything about dynamics. At least we knew about dynamics, but we weren't use dynamics. You know, dynamics came on the second record. And I don't mean when we did it, it was while we were playing it. We started doing more dynamics because I'm like, yo, turn it, bring it down. I need to, I need to hear myself, you know, I'm screaming, da, 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 blowing my voice out. So we started bringing it down a little bit more. It got better once we got into the studio being with John because John, John's a professional. He knows, He knows what we don't know. He knows all what we don't know and need to know now. <laughs> I mean it was like we 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 couldn't go any further than what we had done already with the first record had we not met with John it would have sounded like this the second record and it wouldn't it, for me I I love the second record more than I love the first record cuz of how it turned out it's it's exactly what I wanted it to be like
0: do you how think of the first, first one as like a, as a demo almost as like a as a preparation no, for
3: it? I I I say the first one was a good try you know, <laughs> first one. Yeah, the first one was a good try because, we, uh-huh. you know, we, we got our pennies up together and we made a record. That record brought us to um, Real Big Fish. So had we not done that record, we wouldn't have the second record. Yeah, you got to do mm-hmm.
2: it. It worked. It we, had, it. we had
3: demos. You, you, you know what I mean? It did what it, it did what it was supposed to do. It got us to the masses.
1: So, Kuli, was know? it your idea or John's or maybe somebody else's uh, to re-record the songs that you re-recorded from the first well, record? <laughs>
3: There were listen. There was a couple of labels that were coming after us, right? And they were Mm -hmm. saying they wanted us to keep that record and re-record the whole record over. Oh, right. That was that was one suggestion. But with Mojo, Mojo said, "Oh, we're going to take these songs here that you had on the other record because we think those are good." We had we had the president of Universal. He was he wasn't the president then, but he became the president, and he wanted Agua as the song I'm sorry he wanted climbing as the song it mm-hmm. was like that's the song right there so we left the ship before it really took off that's that's all I can say John did his part we did our part and then the rest yeah is, is, is the story behind the music wait a minute wait a minute
1: Uh, this is almost definitely more of a John question. How does uh, Howard Benson get involved with the extra production on this record?
2: Howard Benson, I think he did some uh, mixing.
1: Yeah. Well, there was like uh, there's like scratches, like turntable stuff, and like some electronics.
2: Yeah. I I kind of don't remember. I just remember him. <laughs> I I kind of don't remember.
0: That's so surprising because when Matt and I were talking about these records the other day, we were talking about how um, it's it's those added elements that kind of give it this very late 90s uh, vibe and almost like predates a lot of stuff that we hear going into the 2000s. Um, so it's it's funny that you say like oh I don't recall this guy because we were thinking he oh, remember, <laughs> he might be responsible for for a lot of it
1: <laughs> right because this uh, because Howard Benson also like made some records for Hoobastank and uh, Pod uh, like like kind of big new metal bands and right before he made these records he was doing similar stuff on this pilfer's record and yeah, that very that like jj said that
0: very much
2: fascinated us interesting yes
0: yeah coolly. how do you, how do you feel about the the scratches and the, those kind of elements on the record
3: i thought it was cool it was it was cool but for me at that time i was i was listening to a lot of um what's it zebrahead right So i like i like zebrahead we went out with zebrahead and we met them in um in europe somewhere and I loved their whole setup. Their yeah. whole setup was so fly, and they sounded heavy as fuck. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. That.
1: I mean, Zebrahead at that time was such a good band.
3: Exactly. I wanted that. I wanted what Zebrahead had. I wanted what Muse had. I wanted what mm-hmm. um, Deftones had. I wanted all of that shit. Give me one of that. You're like, I want I it. it. I wanted it. That's shit <laughs> right there that was that was it and that's what i wanted and, and that, you know and
1: in in that time that was it and that
3: was it yeah yeah so we got what we got we got what we well for me i've got a superb record mm-hmm. and it was to be reckoned with i thought i thought it was a very very good record you know and i was proud to stand by it you know yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. in your history of of productions john how how does some of these Sky records uh sit for you like in in your memory <laughs> or i don't know even in your uh in in how you think about what you've done with your life
2: <laughs> uh it's it's just uh like i said is part of the journey like you yeah. know where where it takes me and and it's and the next journey is always a phone call away and mm. uh, and you know i still get calls and i'm like what do okay let's do that you know and that's it's it's kind of hard i i i don't go back and listen to a lot of the older stuff i kind of started to do that a little bit lately mm-hmm. uh, but i try to always think ahead you know uh but i i did for uh only because i can may i made a production uh uh like a little uh a list of songs I remember one time I was doing a um, like a, 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 a list Failing. of all these songs that I had in a, on a drive and somebody had asked me to do this. And this was probably over 10 years ago. Yeah. And I, I lost count at like seventeen hundred songs. Oh, damn, John. I literally just lost count. It's, it's, it was just crazy. <laughs> and, uh, so it's really hard for me to go back a lot of it like a lot of it has ended up on spotify and mm-hmm. and you know you can't you know a lot of times with like being in the kitchen you cook and not everything tastes amazing after you're done cooking it
1: yeah
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh i tr you know you always try to just strive for something good and uh So I'm generally proud of I I always work hard to make it as good as it can be, whatever it is and what the ingredients that I have, you know, even like making making the Pilfer's record, you know, it was the same thing. We're just kind of we're trying this and trying that and 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 just trying to bring the best out of the songs and using the full talent of the band and especially Cooley. Uh, to make it be something that a lot of people are going to want to listen to. And, and, and they were great songs. It was cool. But, and where that sits, I mean, that's, that was a lot, that was actually in the early parts of my, of my production career. Mm -hmm. Because this whole production thing for me started almost as a, I didn't aspire to be a producer. It wasn't like something that I, I signed up for how that happened was, uh, when, when I first joined Oingo Boingo and I'm the new guy in the band and I'm just trying to be the fly on the wall. I would show up to sessions, even though I was already done with my bass tracks. and I, oh, oh, we're doing vocals tonight. I would find out, oh, they're doing, Danny singing some lead vocals. And I would show up just to watch them work because for me, it was a learning process. Keep on, um, keep in mind, I'm in my mid twenties, you know, I'm a young guy and And so I'm showing up and I would be sitting there and I'm watching them, we had no producer actually. Steve Bartek and Danny Elfin were the official producers of the band. So there wasn't no T-Bone Burnett or some famous producer working. They were basically doing it themselves. And I remember one night, Danny was singing some lead vocals and and I'm sitting at the back of the studio and I remember him one night singing something and I had this idea. And I went up to Steve Bartek and I and I tapped him on the shoulder. I go, hey, I got this little idea. Maybe you should try this. I, I it might have been a little vocal part, or it might have been change this up a little bit, or sing it like this instead of like that. Yeah. And, and then I went back and sat down. And so Steve presses the button. He goes, Hey, uh, Danny, uh, John has this idea. Maybe you should try singing it like that. And and so Danny actually did the idea, and it actually Worked Danny liked the idea and ended up, you know, whatever it was. I actually don't even remember what it was, but it was something <laughs> it might have just been, oh, sing it louder here or slow it down here or whatever. But anyway, I sat back and I remember I'm the new guy and I was like, oh my God, you know, that was, that was <laughs> it could have been horrible, you know. And so, uh, I went home and that night I get a phone call from Danny. And Danny calls and says, Hey, John, uh, Steve can't make it to tomorrow's vocal session. Would you mind coming down and helping out with the vocals? I go, Yeah, I'll come down. Sure, no problem. You know, oh, yeah, let me <laughs> check my schedule, right? No. So, so uh,
0: I mean, like running the boards, not singing.
2: No, just sit, uh, just, another set, just yes. another set of ears. Just another set of ears. Helping him produce the vocals. Nice. And so I went, and there I was, Danny singing, and I'm in the back, and I'm making all the suggestions. Try it one more time, da da da. I'm actually producing the vocals with him uh, when he kept asking me to come back. Uh, with Steve, I was showing up to the sessions, and they were asking me to help him, you know, vocal editing and those kind of things. And on that album. Uh, they gave me my first production credit. The credit is called. Uh, they called me the deputy vocal producer, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where it all started, uh, huh? That badge proudly, and mm-hmm. and so that was my first production credit. And so they cut me as one of the Oingo Boingo producers, which I did from that time on. Wow. And so now I'm learning in the studio, working with Danny Altman and Steve Bartek, yeah. like. What a great way to learn how to do this, Danny and Elfman. I
1: don't. I don't want to get too off topic here. Danny Elfman has uh, some name recognition, right? Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> no. he's probably a genius, right?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, and 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 he might
0: have beef with him. You don't know. Don't make him call I, him a genius. No, he, well, I'm not. He, I'm sorry. Right <laughs> a
2: musician, incredible writer. i, I one, one of the greats.
1: I'm only saying this as a roundabout way to saying. A genius trusts your ears, so of course you're going to be a producer. Right? <laughs> like, that's how I it mean, works.
2: And for, for him to be generous, to even want to share that, that with me was incredible. He, I mean, well, I of course, doing this because a decision he made, how people make decisions that can change your life. And that right? he was open to my, he, he, he probably, I don't know, I mean, he probably saw something in me that I didn't even know I had. And so he asked me to do it officially as part of the team. And so when the band broke up in 95 uh, up to that time, I had been uh, a touring bass player uh, for over 20 years. And uh, all I did was tour and be on the road and play bass. And, and, and so this learning that, to do what I had learned with Boingo Boingo, I decided when the band broke up, I'm just gonna, I, I'm gonna build my studio, which you're seeing my background. Oh, nice, mm-hmm. okay. And, and, and uh, uh, Brando's Paradise is the name of the studio. And uh, this was right around 95, 96, that I decided to start doing this. And Pilfers were one of the very first bands that came a calling. Right behind Real Big Fish. Yeah, right behind Real Big Fish. There was maybe one other band before Real Big Fish.
0: I heard wow. something about, about when you opened the studio. Tell me if this is true, that you you weren't, completely confident in your abilities and so you you offered a kind of pro bono work in the in the beginning is that right
2: i would i would this went on for years and this wasn't actually with just signed bands this was basically if i went to a club and i heard a band i liked the way i loved what they did i would hey you guys want to record some so it was a great learning process for me and so i would go out and and invite bands into my studio and record them for free Just so that I can learn how to mix and record and do things like that, and and uh, and not having the pressure of like, oh, I'm charging people money, and what if it doesn't sound good? That took that pressure off of me, Mm. so I was able to be more, just be more creative, be more daring, uh, because I knew I was doing it for free. So hey, why not? Hey, it's It's a really good way to learn. Hey, you didn't pay for it. So I wanted to ask
0: it, was 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 Pilfers under this this pro bono era?
2: No, no. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to ask. I had to find out. But uh but I started getting better and and actually uh even with mixing, uh mixing was something that I just didn't like I didn't go to school to be a mixer. I I it kind of happened by accident. I was uh working with the voodoo glow skulls uh for Epitaph Records and I I uh I I sent in some rough mixes for them to send to a mixer, and then they call me back and said, "Man, we really like the way these sound. Why don't you mix them?" I was like, "Okay." And that's, <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, uh, One thing
1: leads to another, and now exactly. you're a mixer as well.
3: And now I'm a mixer. And he carried on, and he mixed my last record.
1: Yeah, and that that was what another thing that kind of surprised me is like when we we were talking to Cooley and trying to like we're like we we really want to talk about this Chihuahua Lang record and we're like do you think anybody else would from the band would want to come on and he was like yeah I don't know if they'd be feeling it and then we're like I was like what about John Avila as like a joke and he was like yeah I'll ask him I'm like what <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's we're like he was a like, little surprised <laughs> yeah he was like yeah I've I've been working with them this whole
2: time I'm like oh I did not know that I'm so happy to say we've been working together again, especially through COVID. Yeah. yeah. I I have no gigs, no sessions, nothing going on. And then I get a call from Cooley. He goes, hey, man, you Mm -hmm. feel like mixing? Yeah, I'm not doing anything anyway. So I started
3: mixing. (laughs) I'm like, thank you, John. Thank you, John.
2: (laughs) And he put me to work and I was happy to do it because now I had something to do.
3: I said, (laughs) thank you so much, John. Are you kidding me? I was like, oh, my God, he's saving my ass right now.
1: So way back, let's say twenty-three years ago or so, Pilfers bring you John uh, a bunch of weird-ass songs. Uh, I don't even know when the last time was you listened to this record, but and and now you've told me you've got fourteen hundred something songs to your name. (laughs) So I'm I'm gonna if I name songs, you're not gonna know them, right? (laughs) It's it's
2: kind of tough you
1: know you guys, are, <laughs> you guys you guys i just realized like halfway through i'm like oh no
2: <laughs> I, I i uh uh name some of the songs coolie the, the two you named i remember
3: I remember uh, mr exploiter uh, climbing
2: climbing, climbing. agua, agua. I, I remember agua
3: uh mr exploiter
2: Mr. Exploiter, and I remember some of these songs had different titles when we were yes. recording. Oh, of course. So okay. when they came out, I was like, well, what song is it? Oh, it's that hmm. one. <laughs> so like one of the ones that I wanted to ask
1: about was Skungle, which has got like that really, you know, break beat drums, that kind of shit. what was your exposure to jungle music at that point and what were your thoughts when they're like here's what this song should be
2: it was i it was the dance hall thing right if i remember i had that dance hall and and the guitar player uh um Nick Nick I remember Nick really playing me a lot of examples of stuff and I remember Nick was really uh just an awesome musician. Yeah, and, and X just incredible guitar player. Yeah, so, and he was a big part of the sound of the band. And and absolutely. And I remember him a lot of times when you're working with a band and you're trying to communicate music on a musical level, and sometimes verbally you have trouble understanding what yeah. someone's trying to say. And a lot of times, in fact, I did this today. Uh, uh i i for some mixing for a project that i was involved with and i was trying to explain to somebody what i wanted a clave to sound like mm-hmm. and because and, <laughs> i thought the clave sounded dry and and uh and i and i remember sending a mixed note saying uh if uh, uh and i love her by the beatles if you listen to that song the clave ching, 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 the clave sounds incredible on that song and without even having to say a word i just listened to that and that's what i mean. Mm. And, but that's the same way with speaking in musical terms. Sometimes words don't do it. And a lot of times you just need examples of certain things. And I remember Nick at that time playing me things that kind of did the same thing for me.
1: But well, cooley, do you have any memories of like showing him, I don't know, Skungle or Legal Shot well, or any of those for yeah. the first time and like what his reaction was?
3: Legal shot. Um honestly. For much of for much of the recording, I disappeared. I okay. disappeared. I don't. I'm not even remembering what exactly what I was doing because we already had done the songs already. The songs was already written out in a way. Um, Legal shot. Remember, I recorded that with the Toasters again, and then re recorded again with Pilfers and added another section to it. So
1: you didn't it's, blow it's, his mind with any of this like dub shit or know, dance hall Johnny, shit or
3: Johnny, jungle shit. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't blow someone's mind if they're a musician. Mm. I don't believe you can blow a musician's mind unless you're coming up there with some shit that came from an alien, alien um, world. Because he's he, John is as well as John is a bass player too. Here's, here's here's I'm gonna break down Legal Shop for you. It's it's the '90s and '90s dancehall was playing, right? Everyone knows it. That was the beat that was playing, right? So and then you had the one drop, which is then did it, did it, did it, that's the one drop, one drop song. You put those two together; it's it's a it's a reggae reggae record, reggae with a little dance. But then when you put the guitar on top, you put the you put the horns on top, you, you put the stops on top. Then it's then it's something different. John comes from the rock world; he understands all what we did. It's not; it wasn't. It, I don't think it was something to blow his mind. I think more of when it comes together. And their listeners hear it, oh, yeah, oh, oh, that's something different. I, I think I even I just think a can...
0: band playing jungle at that time is kind of a novel thing. You know. Well,
3: so with the, with the jungle now, I went, I went to England, like I said, and I was there for the beginning of jungle. So I went back, when I came back and I joined the Toasters, I was telling them to do this, this jungle style. They didn't understand it. It was too new for them.
1: Wait, they, you, they, you wanted the toasters to do jungle?
3: Yes. They got a song. Yeah. They got a song on their on their record called um uh oh god, it's one of their songs, right? But they didn't they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. They couldn't grasp where I was coming from. Yeah, oh, was it, it
1: the the Wo Ye song?
3: No, no, was, no no. It was it was like a what the I'm gonna I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna tell yeah. you that.
0: Well, hey, John, while we got you, I want to ask you real quick. Um, yeah. So I, I got kind of, a, kind of a theory of how Oingo Boingo might fit into the, the broader ska picture. And I kind of want to ask your opinion on this. So uh, I feel like the, the Southern California ska thing had its, I feel, I feel like a, a big influence from Fishbone and kind of its, its genre mashing.
2: They are definitely one of the, the influential bands. But yeah. I
0: feel like the genre mashing thing was kind of Oingo Boingo's thing. So uh, it's kind of a twofold question. I want to ask how you think Goingo boingo might fit into kind of a continuum of ska. And I also want to ask how much genre even matters to you, to you.
2: That's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. Genres come in like, like it, it's kind of like a, a chapters or, or, you know, how things happen and they just come in waves. And I, I think when certain bands have been around long enough, they can. They sometimes can float through them. Look, I mean, just look at the Beatles or some band like that who started off as this little pop band and they ended up creating the stage for psychedelia and 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 incredible the things they did. And not comparing us to the Beatles by any chance. But when I first joined the band, they had, uh, their previous albums had been very fast and and crazy. You know, more punk. And Dead Man's Party and Real and, and, and Save Um Weird Signs and some of the bands, some of the songs like that kind of were it was just change of style. And the band even got popular after we went that direction. A lot of people think, oh no, the band's going to be lost after doing this. But no, it turned into this, this whole new audience jumped on board. And we were still happy to still play the older songs, but we wanted to move along as a band. And I think. A lot of bands do that just to not get bored, you know, to to have to play the same thing all the time to try to move on to certain things. And I like the fact that Boingo kind of influenced some of the a lot of the bands in how they did a lot of the earlier stuff. But but especially with somebody like Danny Alpin, whose just vision is just beyond. I mean, that guy could do classical. He could do ballet. He could do punk. He could do, you know, so many different styles. And just seeing, you know, genre-wise, where all this, you know, uh, historically can go. I think that might be one of the reasons why, just because of how long the band had been around, if that makes any sense.
0: Sure. Did you guys ever play out with Fishbone?
2: uh maybe in the earlier days before i was in the band not when i'm trying
0: I was, to feel if there's a direct connection to fish because i'm always making the case that fishbones like roots so I, if i can connect you guys to fishbone like then you guys are like straight
2: <laughs> roots. A lot of LA, you know we're from la and both respected bands and you yeah. know Fishbone, sure. legendary band incredible they both we had oh, both had incredible front men. you know angelo is just like oh my man what a showman and
1: yeah. and yeah there's there's and, truly and, nobody like Angelo on this planet. And,
2: and <laughs> the bass player um
1: uh, uh, Norwood
2: Norwood I love Norwood he's yeah. a buddy and and, and uh, I've actually I've worked with Norwood on a production level. He uh he actually hired me to produce some album uh, an album that he had produced and so I got to meet a lot of the bands like Quetzal, who went on to win a Grammy later on. I met Quetzal through Norwood. Yeah. So there's really cool connection I have with Norwood, and he brought he brought me all these bands to mix, mm-hmm. and and I and a bunch of bands and many of them who I end up producing later on, and and uh, and Norwood I have to say was one of these guys that as a bass player. You know, I saw him perform a lot. You know, some of the early stuff. But when I started digging into some of the the Fishbone tracks, man, that guy's an incredible bass player. Just no like, without a doubt, freaking <laughs> dope, man. He's so dope. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, he's a he's a cool cat. Very and you know, a respected cat. I, I a lot of respect to that guy.
0: Well, I know you got to get going, John. So, like, I let's take this like quick opportunity to just like thank you. Uh, I don't, I, and Cooley, thank you for hooking us up with John I don't, you, I don't think we'd Cooley. ever get a, a guy as big as you I'm talking like you, your name's on hundreds of records Uh And,
1: and on a personal level for so me So honored to meet on you On a personal level for me, obviously I'm hosting a Ska podcast in 2022 But those first two Real Big Fish records and this Pilfer's record Fucking got me here Like those, those Real Big Fish oh. records in particular Like yeah. got me into Ska, into ska music uh, and the Pilfers record influenced my own like music more than I igno- more than I was aware of until we started talking about it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so, like to to have this conversation with you about I mean about this record, but about production in general to me is such a, a goddamn delight. And I
3: appreciate your time.
2: Thank you.
1: And coolly, of course, like I mean, we 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 see each other here and there, but I, I always love spending time with you as well.
3: It's my it's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much.
2: But uh, hey, guys, and I'm I'm still uh, doing some Scott projects here and there. So Mm -hmm. if you can, you can send me some info and I'd love to send you some stuff. How can people get at you? I'm available on Facebook and and on Instagram. uh, Instagram, uh, Johnny Bassman, J-O-H-N-N-Y Bassman.
0: You got a new sky <laughs> wave coming at you now. Yeah, I feel bad for you, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, now that we've said your name out here in these streets. Uh, they're they're going to
2: come for you again.
0: You're about to make a lot of sky money, though. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in this economy.
2: <laughs> and what was that? Uh, some people back in the day called me Skabila. That's when I knew it was getting... You know, the, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It's such because, a pleasure. And thank like, you, Kuki,
3: you always. It's great. Much, much love, John. Thank you for Matt, sharing. JJ, thank you all so much, man. Pleasure, yeah. guys. You guys yeah. have a good one. You too. Thank right. you. And take it easy.